Hello and welcome to Das Nostalgia Podcast, episode 14. I'm your host, Anatoly, as usual, and today, uh, in my virtual studio, I have another very special guest for your listening pleasure. Sir, please introduce yourself. Uh, yes, hi, I'm Richard Goodness, I am here. I normally write, uh, twine games, and, uh, probably the easiest way of finding out about them is at Richard Goodness on Twitter. What are you, what are you here to talk about? Today. So, uh, we're apparently here to talk about the Might and Magic series, which is kind of one of those series that I'm totally obsessed with, and it's, uh, great. Awesome. Well, uh, I can't wait, uh, because personally I don't have a lot of experience with that series, uh, so, um, I'm very excited. But, but before, uh, we go to our topic, um, uh, Richard, do you have uh, a story about how you first encountered, uh, like IBM PC, uh, gaming? Oh boy, do no, actually it does connect to Might and Magic, which is the subject of today. Um I was got into DOS gaming when it was called gaming, um when I was what's called fifth grade. Um and my parents got a PC and mm-hmm. you know, I was in fifth grade, so I loved video games. Um it came with us because we had a CD ROM PC and that was, you know, still a big deal at that time. I mean, this was when we bought Mist, you know, that was one of the reasons right, we bought right. the computer to play Mist. Um, but our computer came with a CD with a few games on it and Might and Magic 2 was one of the games on, on the disc and I absolutely hated it because I had no idea how to play it. And, uh, I had been used to RPGs like, uh, on the Nintendo, I had always played, you know, Dragon Warrior and stuff like that. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, but um, I didn't know how to play a game where you had to map your own and any all of that. Um, and actually, it turned me off the series for very many years. Um, <laughs> it was a while before I was, and um, even worse than that, the kind of the only other Might and Magic game I had played was Clash of Heroes, which is a great, you know, match three puzzle game, but right. it's uh, it's Might and Magic in, at this point, Might and Magic is owned by Ubisoft, and they have made it a very generic, straightforward, boring fantasy RPG, and um, the early, you know, Might and Magic was created by John Ben Canigam. Um it was essentially the first one in 1986 was one of those, you know, great bedroom, you know, video games yes. that was made in the, you know... He sold it out of his apartment, you know, mm-hmm. sold in plastic bags. And um, the early games, um, whenever he's designing, there's a very weird goofiness to them. Now, I know you're really familiar with Ultima, right? Yes, So, I, um, I mean, there's there's goofiness to Ultima as well. Yeah, well, that's, that's what that's I'm saying. Like, especially in the early, mm-hmm. more so in the earlier more installments. So, yes. But, you know, you have this weird blend of... Uh, science fiction and fantasy, you know, you're in with the sword fighting, you know, monsters, and then suddenly you're in a spaceship. Um, yes. You know, I, I think it was, I want to say it was on the CRPG Addict, you know, he said some, you know, he was talking about one of the Ultimas, and he said, you know, this is everything that a really geeky 17-year-old in Texas thought was cool in 1985, you know? Yes, pretty it's, much, yes. You know, th- there's this weird exuberance to it. It's just, you know, every, si- you know, it's the inside of a nerdy kid's head. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a real, like, joy and a funniness to the uh, to the Mind of Magic series that's not in uh, the Ubisoft games. Um, there's a lot of puns. There's a lot of jokes. Um it's very wacky. It's very, it has a very manic pace almost to it. 
uh, which is not what you would think when you're thinking of turn-based make your right. own, you know, map your own dungeon crawler. Um, and I guess what I love about the Mind of Magic series is that it's kind of one of the most accessible of the early, of the early games. And, um, basically that, so, you know, when you talk about the RPGs of the 80s, you're thinking of Ultima, you're thinking of, uh, Wizardry, you're mm-hmm. thinking of Might and Magic. And uh, it's all about the same time, too. So, yeah, it's Might like, and especially Magic. Might and Magic, uh, well, the first one came out in 86, 86 correct? Slightly and later, in yeah. In 87, it got the PC port. On, at that point, Ultima was already on its fourth, uh, yeah. game, and Wizardry was right around the corner, I think. Uh, if not out already. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I know at least the first two and probably the third had been made at that. Well, it's like they were made, but it was one of those things when yeah. they weren't, you know, the commercial release of the first three happened, I think, either in 87 or in 88. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. The, like the proper company setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, either way, the uh, Might of Magic is almost a blending of the two. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like. S- yeah, series in a way. So Wizardry, you have these you know, claustrophobic first-person dungeons, and while there are the first-person dungeons in Ultima, they're... I've never gotten the sense that they're intended to be as difficult or as maze-like. You know, wizardry, you're going to be graphing every single square, and if you miss mm-hmm. something, you know, you're fucked. Um, mm-hmm. And Might and Magic is definitely that. You know, you need to be mapping every single square of this. Um, but at the same time, Ultima has more of that storytelling and that sprawling, you're exploring a world, you mm-hmm. know, and there's at least... You know, allowing for the fact that this is the mid-80s and, you know, creating an intricate campaign setting wasn't really the, you know, continuity wasn't really king. Allowing for that, um, you know, Might and Magic then ends up being, well, rather than just one dungeon of ten floors, which is what Wizardry was doing, um, they spread out the entirety thing. Entirety. So you're exploring this planet, and as you're exploring the planet, it's in first person as well. You're going through mountains. Right. You're going through trees. And... I guess what the reason that I love the first Might and Magic, and I've talked about this a lot, is it's a gig, it's a gigantic cartography puzzle that you're working. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have to. I mean, I have the I, I I always draw out the maps and I stick them on my wall when I'm uh-huh. done. So I have the first Might and Magic map, you know, right next to me right That's now. That's pretty amazing because that game is huge. It's, I was gonna say, it's actually, uh, smaller than some of the later installments. But yeah, but for, for 1987, of course. like, um, it's, it's, it's a big game. Mind and Magic is a very mathematically regular series. So in other words, the first installment, um, the overworld, you have a five by four grid, and each of those is this kind of a separate map. Uh-huh. Um, and every single one of those is a 16 by 16 square. Every single town is a 16 by 16 square. Every floor of a dungeon is 16 by 16, and every single Square is used. In other words, none, you know, while there are walls, you can, you eventually are able to move through those and you Mm -hmm. can navigate around them. So every single, you know exactly, there, there's even a spell you have which tells you the exact coordinate you're at and where you're facing on each dungeon. So. Which is good because there is no auto map of any kind. No auto map. And, um, what it ends up being is this is kind of, the game is kind of a series of directions for creating this map. Um, for working it through. Um, what I think is very interesting is that it's kind of more of a puzzle than a game or a puzzle than a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. I guess what I mean by that is... I, 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 think it's inter- I, I think it's significant that on the Manual for Might and Magic, they say um, it's labeled a fantasy simulation. 
That's mm-hmm. a that's a phrase that you see coming every so often. Um, I know Wizardry Six specifically says uh, calls itself a fantasy simulation in that way. Um, it's not in trying to be a story that you're getting lost in. It's not trying to be a world that you're supposed to pretend you're in. There is very supposed, very much supposed to be a kind of. It's a very cerebral game in that way, mm-hmm. um, which isn't. It's not the kind of game that you know. Sometimes it's not a relax and just fuck around and play a video game and uh, you know sit back and bop some cobalts for a while. No, this is. I mean, it's one you have to be very actively playing the entire time. So I guess that's kind of one of the reasons I'm. I like Might and Magic so much. It feels like it's a game you're working with. It came at a point when I was playing a lot of games that were. I was playing a lot of console games, actually, uh, when I played Might and Magic hmm. on a couple of years ago. Um, it was really Bioshock Infinite that broke me. Um, you know, for all of this talk about however, you know, Columbia is a world and, you know, you're exploring it and, you know, it's really, I'm just kind of sitting back and it's, it's a very potato chip video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it was around that time that I first played Wizardry 6, actually, and which completely took over for a little while. And then uh, when I played into Might and Magic, even though it's these very s- s- small series of the same image over and over, it's these dungeon walls you're seeing the entire time, yes. sometimes it's forest, you know. Even though it's all of that, so much is done to make every level seem very different. I mean, it's a very... A vibrant game. There, were, but the moment that it clicked for me, I was looking at the map that I had made of one of the towns, and suddenly I was able to see it as a town. And this is going to sound very cheesy, but it's it was it clicked how they wanted me to look at this as rather than a series of walls. This is intended to be a room. This is a building. Mm-hmm. This is a larger building. This is you know looking, and then you notice how like the inns, most of the inns in the town are like shaped the same way and then Mm -hmm. when you so when you get into an end in the game you know exactly how you're going to map it out and it becomes you know each one of those 16 you know of those 20 overworld squares there's kind of a different you know little gimmick of them so some you're going through like a beachside and there's all these you know overturned ships and you're finding treasure or monsters in there there's one quest uh, where it's a forest and this you know sprite says oh you've got a climb every tree in the forest and you have to visit every tree square. I mean, it's these are very simple goals, sure, but they're ones which I get a very strong sense of communication from the game. I mean, you, you have this sense of this map, you know, Van Cunningham created this map and then you're kind of just reverse engineering it and reverse engineering the puzzles and challenges right. that made it. feels like a very it's very funny to talk about Might and Magic as a very personal game because when you think of personal game, you think about, you know, you know more of the confessional twine. You think about interactive fiction. You think about, uh, you know, stuff like Gone Home, you know, mm-hmm. games that, you know, tell these very down-to-earth stories about, you know, people and their, you know, and, you know, here you have Might and Magic is as the name implies, this, you know, dumb fantasy RPG where you're playing in elves and gnomes and, you know, shooting spells, but it just feels like a very strong moment of communication with the designer, and I guess and I love that very much about the game I love that very much about many of the OTOR uh, RPGs of the 80s, but for whatever reason, you know, Might and Magic is the one that's hit me the best Hmm. 
That's pretty cool. I, I mean, I, I would like to chime in and break down that, like, for, for somebody's listening right now who has never played that first game, is like, oh, that sounds pretty awesome. And I will say it is, but you have to d- d- discount that, that description for a lot of the 80s stuff. Like, uh-huh. I, I'd say, let's do, let's do some mechanical breakdown. So it's like a first, okay. it's like a first person dungeon crawl RPG, basically. It's not in the dungeons, but it's the same dynamic where you turn 90 degrees yeah. each side. You have a party of six characters, which is, uh, I'd say a bit large for the, uh, for a typical RPG of that kind, yeah. which usually limits itself to it like four. Yeah, and and what's even what's even more interesting, you know, a couple of things on that. There are also six character classes, so you don't have to deal with that RPG problem of well, which well, which do right. I take? You know, in Might and Magic Two, they have eight character classes. Mm-hmm. Which okay, so I have to make well, there's two actual hireling slots, so you really don't have to <laughs> make right. these agonizing decisions, which I think is kind of funny. You uh, uh, explore this uh, very large world, uh, first person. Um, uh, there is a, a sort of uh, a, a story. Um, well, it's the, sort the, of. There is one, but you don't really discover it till like what, like halfway through the game or something. Well, it, I mean, it, 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 it's very basic. It doesn't go so much in terms of. I would say it's less of a story, and again, go. I'm thinking more along the lines of a puzzle. So, you know, instead of like plot points, I'd say they're more like riddles or, or clues right. that okay, you get yes. to figure out. So, in other words. Might and Magic has a lore to it. As I said, it's this blend of science fiction and fantasy. And the backstory to, my, to the Might and Magic series is that there are these beings called the Ancient and the Ancients, and they create these basically planetoids, and they're all like flat uh, things orbiting around. And you know, all of these different lands have a guardian, and this one guardian called uh, Sheltem goes insane and just is evil, and so then they send an ancient named Korak to stop it. That's the entire plot of the series. <laughs> and basically, you know, the conceit is that each one of the, you know, the different lands that you're going into are one of these, you know, nacelles, they're called, one of these, you know, planets. created planets, and you know, yes, you're so, you know, you, you find Shaltem, and you find Korak, and they're all like, oh, he's evil, but that's it's about as far as it goes. It doesn't really care about its own storyline because it's just the excuse. It's the excuse mm-hmm. to just get you into the world and get you, you know, ha- you know, having fun. And you know, there's it usually comes a little bit at the end. Usually towards the end is when you find out, oh, it was really a science fiction world the whole time. You know, a lot of the final levels are in spaceships or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, at the end of four and five, you actually get to read some logs which kind of explain the plot. They're more or less what I just, you know, right. explained right. it as. But it comes out more as a se- almost as a series of Easter eggs rather than actual plot points. There's nothing to really untangle. You won't be lost. It's just kind of, you know, do this, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what, what I was trying to get at is, is more uh, from the graphical representation okay. is... Um, um, Although you have different, uh, wall sets, uh, for each of the different environments, like the mountains, the trees, and the, the, the dungeons, and the, like the town, yeah. um, nothing else in that game really gets a graphic. It will be, you just encounter like a square, and it will give you a little text description, like, oh, it'll be, yeah. there's a statue here, would you like to search it? Or you've entered an inn, and, and stuff like this. All of that is entirely text based. 
Oh, yeah, that's true. Which uh, I would say probably would make Mampen a little bit... Well, you would actually well, hit, ha- have to hit the square, because that's one thing. You can't uh, stand in three squares away from, from a statue. You n- you'll never yeah. know that the statue is there uh, unless you're, you know, nose deep into it. Well, that is one of the... um. One of the terms of school is lawn mowing, is, uh, you know, kind of the slang for that. And particularly in the, in the first game, you know, it's a maze of walls. Um, as the games, you know, in two through five, um, we can talk about the errors of Mighty Magic in a second, but, um, in two through five, um, as the graphics get better, you see those walls are definitely intended to be mountains and mm-hmm. deep forests and all of that. And you get skills which you can use to, so you get like a, mountaineering skill and now mm-hmm. you can climb a mountain that's so, another thing like the environments what, what you, are passable like you, you don't just like if you yeah. see a thing of in, in other RPGs you see a wall of uh, trees and you're like well you can't go there not so n- not the case in Might and Magic yeah. you can actually traverse through those seemingly yes. solid squares and usually um, the way the game is balanced you tend to get these skills very quickly and so after a while you know, you go all up, down one row, and down the other, and up one row, and, you know, getting all the treasures or encounters, you know, in every square. And, you know, that is one thing that's, I find the first game does the best, because it really is, does restrict you within the walls to a point. Actually, with the way a lot of the spells are structured is the game keeps setting up these obstacles for you, and you get spells to you know, kind of push these obstacles away, and then a stronger one comes, you get a... In other words, so you get, at the beginning of the game, you know, poison is, like, mm-hmm. one of the most debilitating, you know, it actually affects your maximum hit points rather than, you know, slowly draining, so you really just can't end up healing it, you know. It's a very damaging one. Once you get the cure poison spell, it's not a problem anymore, but then, you know, enemies can turn you to stone, and then you have the cure stone spell and okay but enemies can eradicate your corpse and you have to get a spell for that um but but they also do that within the physical environment because first you get a spell that can you know you get certain spells that teleport you a certain number of squares Mm -hmm. and suddenly certain ones of the walls aren't as much of a problem but then they start putting up walls that are immune to that and then you get one that you can you know pass through any wall and then they have walls that are immune to that and uh you know they it's really a nice balance between empowering the player and then having the designer pop and say, ha ha, here's another, you know, here's a case that you didn't think about. And, you know, it's a game of cat and mouse for a while until you finally, you know, figure out all of the puzzles. And hmm. um, the first game does really tend to do that balance the best in my mind. Huh. How about, because uh, in the first game, the encounters, the enemy encounters are completely random, right? Yes. Um. Well, Largely, there is some random encounters, as in you know you have a fine you have a chance on each square, mm-hmm. uh, but those are actually fairly low for a game of this type. Um, you know, you think about wizardry; you're getting a battle every couple squares. You know, yes. there are long there are stretches where you won't have battles in Mighty Magic, um, but there are some squares which have fixed encounters, um, as in it's a square you, where you will always have an encounter, and it's balanced for a certain general level, but it will give you a random uh, selection of monsters from that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can get lucky and get into an area you weren't able to go in earlier, or you might not get lucky, and you may die. Right. The game also handles saving in a very weird way, in that you 
can only, only save, your... save in ends, right? And you can only save your character progress. So, mm. um, they do a lot of the, you know, plot things that are handled with inventory items, you know, think about like keys, uh, to unlock, you know, areas later on. It's that kind of thing. Um, but whenever you go to an inn, you can save, you know, your experience, your character level and all of that. If you die, out on the road, it's game over, and you have to just reload from the last time you kind of checked in. Um, but then a lot of the... There are really very few wasted sessions because you're still updating your paper map that you have, you right, know, right. on your desk, um, even if your character... Ex- you know, so you tend to change between, you know, exploratory sessions where you're going to just die a dozen times, you know, just to map out an area and you don't really care... And then you do it for real. Um, Mm -hmm. And it ends up forcing a very intimate knowledge of this land with you. Um, And, you know, for the most part, most of the games have you crisscrossing the same area many times, um, have certain parts of, you know, even the early areas where you're not strong enough to go through yet. And, you know, it helps the game feel very sprawling and nonlinear in ways that are very nice. Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, personally, now, yes. Now, you said you were not too familiar with the series, but have you played any? What What have you played? Well, uh, uh, I have uh, played, uh, well, I have attempted briefly to play at least one one of each throughout my my life, uh, which <laughs> I, I usually, I fail at RPGs, especially very early on, because I had, you know, very early on its language barrier, so... Um, okay, yeah. There's definitely. a big one. Also, the absence of manuals uh, would be uh, another one. Uh, the absence of, uh, or the desire to map uh, <laughs> would be third, and just, this, yeah. yeah, it's just uh, those kind of games mostly are, are not for me, unless they're either simplified in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, offer some kind of a, uh, like an easier playthrough. Might magic, unfortunately, is very difficult. <laughs> well, you're um, talking about manuals. I mean, they don't even have, when, when, you know, casting spells, there's like a spell book in the manual, and so yes. you have to choose each that there's levels of spells. So, like, spell level one, uh, the fifth spell in level one is the light spell, and, uh, yeah, I, I think the, Fifth spell on level two for the cleric is a healing spell. No, six. Two six is the healing spell. You use these like all the time. And I, when I was playing the game, I, you know, I just completely memorized the entire, <laughs> practically the entire spell book. I actually rewrote the spell book into an easier to follow form for me. Um, this game was a project. Well, here's the thing. Yes. And that's the thing. Uh, uh, 80s RPGs of, uh, not mostly, pretty much all 80s RPGs are, are essentially just like work. They require serious commitment. Yeah. Serious, serious. That was the pleasure of, of playing them. You know, in the 80s, the genres were kind of, uh, really spread out. You know, there was your action game. There was this, like a, like an adventure game. There might have been a serious simulator at that point. Uh, but RPGs at that point, you know, because it was people coming from, um, uh, you know, d- Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of complexity built into them. They were, by design, they were very hard games. And also those, those are on, those are the times where being like, well, uh, you know, 50, 60 hour game is, is yeah. not unusual because it was kind of like a normal thing. Uh, f- well, I mean, to think about it as, long. 
just as simple as, you know, if you and I want to play a video game, we have hundreds, you know, and we, we don't even have yes. to leave the house to get hundreds more, you know. Yes. It's, it's as simple as, you know, you're going to buy a game and you are going to just live this game mm-hmm. for a while. So I for mean, like a year, like a good good, good chunk, like if you back in the day you, you committed to an RPG, you, you, you committed for a long yeah. time. And I did, you know, when I played Wizardry 6 and when I played The Might and Magic, and I actually have spent last year playing all of the Might and Magic games. I beat half of them and got a very good chunk into all of the others. But um, I don't know. The Project game is a very nice thing that even when you think about a 100-hour game now, like, I don't think of Skyrim as a project. It was just kind of a thing I played for a while. It didn't right. feel like any work. Yeah, I, I would say I, yes. Uh, like, I don't even have anything I got from that. You know, I come down, you know, fairly hard on Skyrim because I just didn't like it. It was just, it was a pudding rather than, like, you know. know I, just I get what you're saying, yeah. but I also think it's also the result of, you know, like, uh, you know, just a handful of people working on them or one, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, they were better, I guess, better crafted environments, uh, in a way, just because it all came from the one place. Um, you know, I think it's an amount of, like, one of the things that I find about Skyrim and that I'm finding about Bioware a lot lately is it's just trying so hard. Like, it just, we're talking about games that are just so huge budgets that they have to, they have, it's pop music now, you know? Yes. RPGs somehow became pop music, and I don't know how that happened, but, um, you know, I thought I would be happy about that, but it turns out I'm not. Yeah. Um. Well, the market is also different. Back in the day, it's like a good RPG, especially in the 80s, what's like, well, how much can, can it possibly, like in, in 87, the the most sold RPG could possibly, even something like Ultima yeah. 4, you know, Ultima 4 on their first, on their fourth game already has a company, well-established publishing system. Yeah. Uh, how much? Well, how, 50, 50,000? Was, was, was it even 50,000? You know, like, yeah. like, yeah, it's a very niche kind of thing. Not everybody had a computer. First of all, you had, had a computer at, com- at home. Not everybody had a computer. Um, yeah. uh, it, it was a pretty expensive thing. Uh, and then you had to be specifically into RPG games. So it's a pretty limited market. So. Yeah, I mean, there's what everybody they says. They play about- to their audience. Yeah, like with adventure games. I mean, you know, if you had a computer in the and adventure 80s, games are relatively accessible. Well, not relatively. Adventure games well, are very accessible for for a type I mean, of I'd person that wants to play them. I think they're two halves of the same coin in a way. I mean, again, you know, in the eighties, if you had a computer, you were into programming. You were a computer person. You know, right. you didn't just you weren't just somebody random. You know, just bought one. You know, for the most part. So, you know, for your job, you were probably doing these very intricate. You know problem-solving things, and so to relax, you would do that too. And I mean, adventure games and RPGs are both really naughty problems that are just done in different ways. Yeah, I mean, but I, RPGs I like... are more of a commitment than an adventure game, usually. Even back in the, like, you know, you yeah. I guess you can step back early and, like, look at, like, Zork or something, and yes, sort of interactive fiction games would probably be very similar um, I would say, but like at, at the point in the late '80s, I think those things would start to branch out a little bit, a little bit more. Where like adventure games being a bit more accessible, you know, Sierra was yeah was coming around. Those things were kind of uh more appealing to to an average person. Although of course, 
I would say we, we I, I know you have your thoughts on Sierra. Yeah, it's, but like, yeah, it's there, but it wasn't to the point where you, you know, like, like even take yeah. what, like, uh, okay, so 87, so like, uh, <clears throat> King's Quest, uh, three, four at that point as well. Uh, Some, I was gonna say we're between there, yeah. Yeah. So, even King's Quest three, which is, okay, really difficult to, to get into just because it kills you every, about every five seconds, five times on every screen. Yeah. I'd say still, would be probably in not as much commitment as as either Ultima before or or Might and Magic or you know the Wizardry three pack. It's like those are all a lot more serious games. Want to move on to? Uh, I mean, I know that like, the second is not much different, but like after that well, guess, begins you know, some major improvements. There's a you know to a degree. Might and Magic 2 is still not my favorite one. I like it much more than I did when I was in fifth grade, but they're basically, it's a lot more combat heavy than uh, the first one is. That's kind of one of the reasons I'm not as into it. Um, and the maps just aren't quite as interesting, oh, yeah? but um, there's, you know, Might and Magic 10 was just released, and that kind of makes us into a fourth era, the shittiest era of Might and Magic, but, um, you know, there are three major kind of eras to Might and Magic. So the first two are this very, you know, static, you know, map your own, you know, turn-based, you know, list-based encounter system. Um, three through five uses a different engine. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's, it's just, you know, number one, the graphics are gorgeous around this era. Um, but it's, it, it, it's a turn-based RPG system that takes as much of the numbers away from everything. In other words, you know, enemies don't really have health bars or you don't, you know, see a number, you know, but they're just, their names are in, you know, green, yellow, or red as they, you know, as their health is going. You're just kind of, you hit a button and that's your bop the thing in front of you button, you know. Mm-hmm. You're casting spells and it just plays, you know, pays a shiny thing and, you know, if it hits hard enough, the enemy just disappears. Um, it's a very streamlined, um, very, uh, very... It's very, it's very basic. That's another thing about Might and Magic that I'm yeah. not particularly fond of. Even in the later entries, well, let's say mid, right now, okay, so now that there's so many of them, uh, yeah. the, the, the mid-series entries, the, the more famous, uh, like the, the bigger ones, I think the combat is kind of like, yeah, not very. More than but it's not very simple. Yeah, but I'll say like something like a combat and say something like compare it from the other games from the same time. Something like uh, Eye of the Beholder or yeah. or Lens of Lore, especially, is is a bit more exciting and and visual and just more representative. In a lot of ways, Might and Magic is more about the strategy than it is about tactics. The early ones are very tactically focused. Mm-hmm. There's um. You know, you could fight dozens of enemies in one combat, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, certain spells will take... There's an interesting system where some of the enemies in range are, are in range and some aren't, you know. And there are all these tactical options that you have to deal with. Um, they take away a lot of the tactical difficulties. In other words, there's just use spell or hit thing in front of you for them, or shoot a ranged weapon. Um, ranged weapons are like the game breakers in every single Might and Magic, and they're, they're game breakers in very different ways. Which is really interesting, but um, it's more about the strategy, more about how you're outfitting your army, how how you're creating your party composition, how you're massaging their stats throughout the game, how you're um, 
you know, d- dealing with those kind of things. And while, you know, whether or not that's satisfying is a different, you know, discussion, certainly, um, I would say. But later on, it really does become more about managing your characters mm-hmm. than figuring out what they're doing in each individual combat. Right. Um, at that point, you know, the series does split off into the Heroes series, which if you want more tactical you know, combat, turn-based combat, that's where you'll, where you'll go. Oh, for yeah, that. I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I honestly, well, we'll get to that one. But, like, uh, anything more specific on, on, on two? Cause from my point, that's, I didn't play too much, but it looks like, yeah. um, you know, it got, uh, it's kind of the same, but it got a, well, from, from, from mechanical and technical point, it, is, it got a bit of a facelift. Yeah, it's a Mighty Magic uh, one with better graphics. Yes, the graphics are there, now you got graphics during combat even. Uh, you got some objects. You actually, when you enter an inn, you know, you actually have a representation yeah, of see. who is in the inn, uh, and stuff like, and just generally prettier EGA. Kind of weird, chunky EGA, but, uh, it's a step up from the first one, which looked like it was like a straight up port from like Apple II. Yeah, and I always got the sense that he kind of, he kind of drew the, uh, art himself for yes. the first one or yes. something. Like it looks, it looks like somebody who couldn't draw and didn't really have a well, good Well, let's face sense, it, like, know? Ultima didn't look that great yeah. either. So. For two, they hired an artist, yeah. you know. So, yeah, two looks like shows. it's his facelift, and I think I've read that the completely random encounters are gone. It's, um, you're now do, you're now getting, well, the, the enemies are random, but you only get, yeah, uh, encounters at the squares that were set up to have encounters. That sounds like it could be. It's been a while since I checked that out. Um, yeah, that's kind of about the early era of Might and Magic. It was, you know, when you get through three to five, though, all encounters are fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and- there's a there's a big uh, big thing. Yeah. Are we moving on to three? Because uh, yeah, let's move on to yeah. like three. There's I don't know. There's a big oh, like it's it's uh, you know three years in between. Uh, Might and Magic 2 and Might and Magic 3, 1991. Yeah. And there's a, there's, there's like a huge leap, uh, technically, cause, uh, you go from like chunky EGA to, uh, those beautifully, uh, drawn VGA yeah. things, like an very ev- bright colors, everything, very... everything is very graphical, you know, have digital sound. Uh, you got music, like, there's a huge sort of bump in production value in general, and you have that, uh, sort of, uh, upgrade where, well, the big difference is, um, the, the, the encounters are, are, are not random, it's just enemies roaming the, the actual levels. Yeah. Um, there are fixed amount of counters in each dungeon, um, and a lot of the overworlds, there are, like, monster layers. So, in other words, you know, you'll be fighting spiders in the forest, and then you'll find their nest, and then when you destroy that, they all uh, go away. But, yeah, there pretty much is a finite amount of experience in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, three is three's a good one, but three is probably the... Three's, I think, is the hardest one. I really oh, yeah? Do. Um, the riddles are really tough. Like, the puzzles are some of the more obscure ones. Um... I don't think they're as good. Um, it's not like interesting, kind of obscure. Um, I feel like they were trying to get to a new engine and trying to do something different. Again, you have this, you know, you say it's a much more graphical game, and yeah, they do take the numbers out. And 
I don't know. It seems they're experimenting with what kinds of stuff, you know, they need to present in an RPG, you know? Right. We well, it's better... still pretty early in, in that sort of, yeah. like, refined sort of, like, gold box-like uh, sort yeah. of things. Like, things are getting, like, there's this sidebar point-and-clicky thing, so, which still have the same, I think, keyboard sh- shortcuts, right? So you can still use these. Yeah, it's amazing, even given the changes from interface, you know, to engine, uh, how much it is really still the same game. You still have, you know, five towns and, you know, you still have these 16 by 16 squares and you still have the overworld is divided. Um, everything is, everything for the entire series is coordinate based. In other words, every single square has a coordinate and characters will talk about, well, you need to go see so and so on, you know, square B3152, you know. Oh, wait, you know what? Speaking of squares, I think we missed something. The uh, second game also had the map skill, right? Yes. That, that, that's the difference, too, which, which was, well, it was an actual skill, right? So. Yeah, it's a, um, yeah, 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 it's a skill that you have to get and you can get it early on. I actually don't like Tube's auto map because they don't, it's just a. Because uh, you're in, hardcore. Because I'm hardcore in the, it's a good way of getting your bearings and, um, you know, helping you out. But it, especially the dungeons, it only just shows a blank map. You mm-hmm. can't put notes in that. You can't, uh, as I said, they're, you know, taking notes is essential in the first, you know, few games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, characters will tell you to go to a certain square. Terror characters will tell you to, you know, talk to this person and it doesn't get ridden anywhere. So, you know, how's the map in the, how's the auto map in the third game? Is that now a separate thing or is it still a skill like in the second game? It's still a skill. Three through five, it is always a skill. Um, and actually when I, when I play three through five, I do map the overworld at least again because I like to have it to keep. Um, but also you can't scroll the auto map Mm -hmm. on the, you can't take notes still. Um, it's harder to tell where you've been as opposed to where you need to go next. Um, but that's a personal preference. Right. Uh, the dungeon maps are a little more straightforward in the later, uh, in those games. So you don't, you know, you can get by with the auto map. Well, since I, again, I'm not really familiar with the third game uh, either. Like, it's like what, what new stuff did it bring in? Well, I think it's more interesting to talk about four and five. Well, yes, that, those are the big ones, really. Those are the ones that like really m- made it popular. Kind of one of, All right, so let's let's move on, I guess. So yeah, um, because four and five, um, they are two separate games. Um, four is called uh, Clouds, Clouds of Zine, of Zine. five is Dark yeah. Side of Zine. To cl- uh, taken together, um, now I'm not really sure how this was done in the initial release. It was something where if you bought both games together, you could connect them and they well, kind of acted as yes. each other's well, expansion pack. Th- that's, um, that's, that was a, a really weird thing because at that point, you start yeah. getting one game a year, basically. Like after yeah. a three-year gap, a uh, third one comes out in 91 and the fourth one in 92. And that already has things set up for it to be joined yeah. with the next game. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They are, they were, uh, once both games came out, they were sold on a CD version as World of Zine and it, all of the connection was already done and that's the version I played. So, as I said, all of the games take place on these flat planets. Well, um, four and five take place on both sides of it. So in other words, game four is taking place on the top and game five is underneath that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, they, they both have their own completely main quest. Um, there are ways of swapping from one side to the other, and actually five is 
a lot harder than four. So, you know, there, when I played it, for example, there was a while where I played four to a point, mm-hmm. went to five, and then you get, you know, some more XP and better weapons, and then the end of four is Breeze. Once you finish both games, though, you get, there's some bonus content, yes, basically a few uh, dungeons. Um, one of them, the crossword puzzle dungeon, which is one of the most interesting dungeons I've ever played, where, um, literally the walls form a crossword and there's, you have to answer, you know, riddles about the game. And, uh, um, it, it I, I graphed that one out and it, it's just, it, it was this just really cute, interesting that's pretty creative you, also, yeah. yeah it's a, it's a great use of like sort of 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 the of the tech in a yeah. way right it's it's there's, a, it's a mean, clever clever twist there's one right in the very first game where it's actually a magic square um which i didn't solve that puzzle without a walkthrough no way um but you know you have to turn numbers and things like that throughout the series every they're always trying to try new things out there's a lot of dungeons with weird gimmicks or weird puzzles that are you know, around them, or towns that have, you know, a concept to them, or something like that, and again, you talk about a game like Skyrim, which is just so flat, you know, I mean, the only puzzle that was in that game is there's, you know, a series of symbols on one wall, and then you turn to the opposite wall, and you put the symbols on, you know, a thing, and that's Mm -hmm. it, you know, um, even... even in the later versions, and in 4 and 5, you have a quest log, and, you know, it does start uh, uh, categorizing where you have to go um it still doesn't feel like it's holding your hand it still doesn't feel like it's oh yeah there's a sort of all those rpgs are at that point still still very open world kind of a deal even though i guess the story is more prevalent in 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 four and five a little more it starts especially getting heavy once you're like switched to like five there's cutscenes and uh, yeah, lots of like voices recorded. Some some bad, some not so bad. <laughs> I will all always remember the opening open, opening cutscene of the, of the four of four is like one thing I always bring up when I, when I refer to bad voices. Oh my god! Because there's so this quip you... there where like where he's like, "I am the king," uh, <laughs> like the most hilarious I love, thing. I know. I love. I love the the. Uh... God, I was, so I, I was, you know, in preparation for day playing one of the spin-offs called Crusaders of Might and Magic, which is a really shitty Zelda ripoff. Um, it's awful, but it has some of the best bad voice acting. Like, it's very <laughs> obvious that they just, like, grabbed a bunch of people or who we were in the office today, you know? Like, you know, they have the receptionist, obviously, you know, doing something, you know, and this is the mailboy, you know, and he's pretending to be a peasant, you know, and it, it's, it's got such a charm to it. Um, one of the, and again, even as late as might admit, the very last puzzle in this world of Zine, you know, when you're the 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 bonus quests once you finish both games are to unite the worlds, you know, and and you're going through and you're in this final tower and there's this message that you're decoding. Um, there are always like cryptogram messages hidden throughout the game and it's really strange that in 5 there isn't one um until this very end and it's a message from John Mencanningham and he's saying you know congratulations you know you've beaten the Might and Magic saga you know we're going to have a new one in 96 don't worry and it's just really like again even 5 installments in you know even as this is going to be this is a game that's going to be seen as one of the good you know the big you know, computer RPGs of, you know, 
this is an end of an era for a major, you know, it's just this dorky guy just showing you stuff he thinks is cool. Right. And, yeah, you know, that's something that's sadly missing out of games It's endearing, today. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You uh, get the sense that there are all these people who they had a really great time making this game and they hope you had a really good time playing it, you know, yes. and... When the game was made by one, two, or even like ten people, you yeah. can still feel a personal input from each one yeah. of them, uh, other than the, you know, a game made by, like, you play in a game that's made by 300 people, there's, there's, there's very little chance you, you're actually going to identify what each one of those people did. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, of course, the, this is still comes from that time, despite the fact that they're, they're huge, they're huge games, especially yeah. by the time games, RPGs got to mid 90s, a lot of them, this is where the size kind of became, Pre- yeah. prevalent you know like not not all games but like uh certain rpgs like sort of uh, they were proud of how how huge they are and like the yeah, yeah. the land became like sort of like this is how like this is how big our world is and, and well that's what you have like daggerfall saying like, oh it's, yes. like 10 times the size of it and i'm like oh, i mean why would i fucking care like i would rather I would rather have a. I mean, that's. The I will I say dagger, daggerfall. Uh, although, yes, uh, of, uh, I see. I see. I see your point. I say daggerfall is 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 pretty amazing achievement for for that yeah. time. Yes, granted, all the all the towns are generic, huh. uh, and the and the old dungeons are screwed up by by random you know generator. Uh, but it's still Elder Scrolls games are always impressive technical achievements that just. I don't know. Like they're only about their own size after a while. Yeah. Well, after Daggerfall. Well, no. I. I well, I mean, Morrowind I, is 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 I've kind of that that happy medium. I've been trying to play Morrowind lately. Like I, I think there's a re-texture patch I need to get or something. But um, you know, it's it's interfacey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I really it, liked Oblivion. I would say I, I did like Oblivion. I haven't. I haven't played it. There's a certain point in in gaming. Where, yeah. where the time comes and I just don't play anything past that point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Oblivion is pretty much that, at that cutoff. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so back to Might and Magic. Well, uh, anything more on sort of like four and five and, and world? Well, four and five is again the end of the old era. So, you know, we talked about Korak and Sheltem, you know, at the very end of Might and Magic five, um, you know, you find Korak and he says, oh, Shelton, take me to Shelton. He activates his self-destruct mechanism because he was a computer and he explodes and there are pieces in the galaxy, you know, and that's Spoilers. about, you know, something. And thus ends the first era of Might and Magic. Uh, six is kind of a reboot. Well, uh, uh, he, well, and here's the thing. That also ends the, we should make a mark that it ends the era of Das might have magic oh, yeah. RPG games. So, uh, which, uh, you know, it's a pretty good run. Uh, f- five games, uh, in, in less than 10 years is, is, pre- 10 years, yeah. is, is pretty impressive around that time. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the longer running series and, uh, also probably one of the most consistent, you know, uh, cause, uh, all the other yeah. series, well, I mean, I guess Wizardry really didn't, but Wizardry was always for like hardcore people. Yeah. Like not a lot of people like, played wizardry i mean the ones that did and it's only like really that one wizardry game that that's universally beloved by by all rpg people the others are kind of like on the side of it where like an ultimo of course changed so many times yeah. uh, uh, uh throughout the years that like you know each set of like a couple of games is very different 
but Might and Magic really kind of stayed uh, yeah, true to for itself for the first five games because, like, like I said, like, and they, they tried, like, even though at one point you do get like a point and click interface. You know, it still harkens it back. It sucks. To, I mean, I use the I use you the still, arrow you keys. Still, you still, yeah, that's right. And you still use the shortcuts, and they still work according to what they were in the original. So, yeah, like I'd say, Might and Magic is probably one like the most consistent out of those long running RPG series. But yeah, after five, it it ended, and there wasn't another game in '96. Uh, in fact, you had to wait for a little bit more. That series sort of disappeared for for a while. Where we're going to briefly cover it. Uh, I know I uh, hashtag not DOS. Fuck off. Uh, but um, yeah, well, we got to go into six because six is the last great mind. Yes, that was game. the game that sort of appeared. I remember. Uh, I remember. Uh, it, um, a lot of my friends were RPG fans, which I wasn't for the reasons I mentioned earlier. And, yeah. uh, you know, with the exception of the games that would do half the work for me. And, um, that, uh, I remember when that was announced, and it was announced out of nowhere, like very suddenly, um, uh, people were getting really, really excited, and the game came out, and, uh, well, first of all, I personally have to say it looked weird. Uh, it's the weirdest looking it's game. It's this really, it's the game that, visually it looked like it was it it belonged to like two years prior which at that point was a really disappointing thing was a software rendered 3d game with really basic models and sprites on top and not the best quality either well we need to be just go into a little bit more about the sprites because you know all of the people sprites are actually photographs yes. of <laughs> again the probably the staff and families yes. of new world computer and everything else know? is like a pre-rendered uh 3d <laughs> they're in they, costumes they're, they're, um, everything it, it doesn't to me personally it doesn't mesh together just visually i think it's no, everybody it doesn't but like it, it's but in a way as i said it you know it gets this weird and manic style and for the first you know minute you're seeing all these like ugly people in like peasant outfits it's goofy it's goofy as hell but after a while like it works completely you also carried over from the previous three you know like the the portraits on the bottom have have those have the facial expressions that they that they make uh, what i love oh yeah whenever you get like hit your character like makes this goofy like but what's even funnier about the character portraits is they have like Two men and two women, you know, did that, and then they like draw mustaches on like, (laughs) or like these really really, like weird like hairstyles. Like it's almost really needs to be seen to be believed because I've never seen another game that looks quite like this. Yeah, because yeah, nobody I think attempted that sort of blend of stuff for a good reason. Yes, it looks really weird, and uh, it's funny that they. they kind of stuck well uh, well they didn't um because for seven then it's re- seven it's goes to rendered, like rendered, rendered characters things, and but it's, it's the same uglier. engine only it's like smoothed in hardware rendering it looks even fucking worse yeah um, and then yeah well then just... there's a whole different story but uh, i think well i guess mechanically people i i remember when that game came out my friends were ecstatic yeah. and they loved the shit out of my magic you would probably six. like it because i don't i can't get in it grips simplifies with like a lot of, yes it you know, does Number one, the combat. Well, it's the thing is like the biggest thing I I, I remember playing it then, and I was like, oh, so now you have a switch between 
turn-based and yes. real-time combat, and I never quite got a grip on that. I was like, it's weird to me. You know what it reminds me of, Steve? It's like a Baldur's Gate, like an Infinity Engine kind of thing, except right. done in the first it's person. The first person, yeah. Um, that's really it. So, in other words, you'll be you'll be going around, and it'll look like Doom in an out, you know, an outside environment. And you know, if you basically you have um your gener- general attack button, and what that attack button does, it'll either launch a spell or shoot a bow or mm-hmm. pop with your sword, and it only do it does those things in those order and you know for a while it feels very restrictive but it it's exactly the button that you know does everything that you want it to um you be you know and you know you can just attack stuff in real time or you just hit the space bar and then it'll suddenly turn into turn based and characters will move a certain amount you know characters will shoot when it's their turn to go it works very well it's again a system that i haven't really seen elsewhere it elides or, you know, takes care of so many of the picky tactical things that you have to do mechanically in an RPG. In other words, you know, you don't have to hit fight every second. You don't always have to select, you know, confirm your attacks and all of that. Like, it handles it for you. Uh, well, I mean, I I probably will try it at some point. Uh, it looked interesting. I just, uh, I don't know. Again, like, As it scares, game, it scares me a bit less. And yes, I know... People love that game, so... Uh. Well, as a game, it's one of the better ones because, again, it, it once you get used to how to play it, you know, it does take a little while. You do need to mod it a bit because it was created before really mouse look was a thing, mm-hmm. so you need to mod that in. It's, I would say, unplayable without mouse look. Um, but, uh, um, you know, in terms of the amount of agency it gives you, in terms of the amount of you know, just it is very much one of those games where you just go around and you find cool stuff, and it's not just you know, so many games it just feels like oh, there's just stuff there. It doesn't really feel like everything you find in Mind and Magic Six feels like an adventure. It feels like something exciting. All of the dungeon design is impeccable. Um, there are some levels that, um, it, like I'll I'll say the Temple of the, 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 the Temple of Ba, everybody will know exactly what I mean. You know, if they played it, they know exactly the level I mean, and they know exactly why that's the case, you know. Um, you know, a lot of the levels do these weird transformations at the end, or, I don't know, it's just a very carefully done game, and it's a very lovely game. Um, it's a, it's one of the most fun of those, you know, open world dick around and, you know, find caves games I've ever played. Hmm. And right. then, and then yeah, well, seven or eight. I don't know what it is about sevens again. More combat heavy. Well, seven is also it's it's weird because you also have to place yourself like it's nineteen ninety nine, right? And, yeah. And uh, like uh, sort of Unreal Tournament and Quake Three and all those sort of very heavy hardware, good looking games are right around the yeah. corner at that point. They're coming out towards the tail end of the year, and uh, uh, RPGs at that point already went full three D. You know, and Might and Magic Seven comes out, and it looks just like it was six. Yeah, uh, it looks just like six with hardware acceleration. And by it was that game looked dated in '98, but in '99, it just looked sloppy. 
Uh, yeah, and, and you didn't even have the charm of the of, of the photographs anymore. Right, Be- and because is- number six was such a big sort of success uh, with fans and and new players alike, like the expectations were there, you know, uh, f- for strong follow up. And I recall my friends being all very disappointed with seven. It's a really long game and like six is a long game six is Mm -hmm. a very long game there are a couple points where it could have ended but there's another arc but i didn't my like it i felt fine with the length of it seven just after a while i realized oh shit i have how much left to this game like i've been playing this for for fucking forever and none of what you're doing is interesting um and it's also one of the things i like about the series is that it just kind of begins usually you know mind of magic one starts and it's you're just in the middle of playing it Mm -hmm. you know there's no introduction there's no first level it's just you're starting you know and they keep that for most of it seven has a separate area where you have to go into a scavenger hunt and it's a tutorial and it in the way of all tutorials it's horrible um it takes a long time for that game to get going, and then there's a few arcs in the game of plot, and then you have to choose between good and evil, and, you know, it never... It makes you have more of an investment than you really want to. Because that's never... Again, the lore is never what's been the point of this series, you know? It's always just been some place to romp around and play in, you know? Right, right. Um... Well, eight is yeah, even. If you wanna, know, if you yeah. wanna briefly sort of. Uh, eight is more of the same, mm-hmm. and then nine came out, and nine was a tragedy because just like, Mighty Magic Nine, exact same thing that happened with Ultima Nine. It was released in an unfinished, buggy state, and you know people have patched it so that it's stable, but it's still very much an unfinished game. It looks like the first draft of an amazing game. But they just never finished it. Um, the Ultima, Ultima Nine does not look like the first draft of an unfinished <laughs> game. It looks like a fucking pile of shit that it is. Yeah, I know. Like I, I, I can imagine a bit of how you know my Ultima Nine feels by how Might and Magic Nine feels. Like I'm surprised that Wizardry ended as good as it did. Like because Wizardry Eight is a great game, and uh, you know that's like the only one that you know hit hit it at the end. Um, and now we just got Might and Magic 10 last year, and it's a pile of crap. It's a long-winded, lore-based pile of crap. Um, it has this really detailed storyline in this really boring fantasy universe, which is what Ubisoft thinks that we want out of Might and Magic, but that's not at all the case. It's slow, it's sluggish, it's dull. Shame. Yeah. It's a shame that the great series had, had to end up like that. You know... I have to say, if you want a Might and Magic experience, Legend of Grimrock 2 is the best Might and Magic game to come out in years. It is everything that the first game was. It is this sense of adventure. It's a gigantic knotted puzzle. Um, it feels more like a conversation between a really sadistic dungeon master and you. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the, it's one of the hardest games I've played in a very long time, but, you know, Playing Mind and Magic 10, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, but uh, Grimrock 2 feels like that. It has that old school sensibility. All right. So uh, a few questions uh, regarding sort of the, the – let's let's talk about specifically about DOS games. Um, uh, let's say uh, for for a beginner, for like an uh, – 
for the entry level in those first five games? Which one? Which one would you recommend? You know, I mean, if you're willing to go for a project and you want to learn how to map out a graph paper thing, start with the first one. I mean, the first six are sold in a pack on good old games, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I would say start with the six, but if, you know, you're not going to let me, so, you know, because it's not DOS. Um, if you want a more streamlined experience, four and five, um, we'll do that because it's a much well that more... seems to be like what that those are like universally yeah. were the, the the most that's how the series gained the most following is like the four and five i the... played it i liked playing it last because out of the first five it's the one i did play and beat last um and it felt like again that when you get that note at the end that's you know congratulating you it really does feel like you know you stuck with something for a while and right. it, Feel it's one of those games that feels like you accomplished something, you know. Mm -hmm. It feels like it did something, like you got a project done. So, like I said, if you want to just buy a bunch of graph paper, print out some weapons lists, and uh, <laughs> you know, shut yourself in your room, you know, start with Mind and Magic One. I think you can do it. It's a lot more kind and accessible than you think it is. All right. Well, um, want to talk about the spinoffs a little bit? Okay. Well, I mean, my magic is said, I mean, the, the main, you know, at around, um, God, it was like around four or five. Um, so you know about King's Bounty more. Than well, I. yeah. King, King's Bounty actually, that was not even around four and five. King's Bounty actually came out in 1990. Okay. Um, it's very okay. old. Uh, and that's actually the game that I really, really love that doesn't get talked uh, about a lot because it's sort of like overshadowed by it's sequels, even though people yeah. sometimes have no idea that that's where the series started. Um, King's Bounty is essentially proto Heroes of Might and Magic, uh, but with a uh, you know with a static world, uh, just one, and it's all there. Like you you move around this world. It's turn based uh, game, but not turn based in the style of of Heroes, where you know each of the heroes gets specific. A uh, set of like movement or action points, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. everybody else moves. No, no, no. Like each one, as you move, everything in the world moves one turn. Um, and uh, you do essentially the same thing. You gather yourself an army, and when you encounter uh, an enemy, you switch. It switches into battle mode, where your your armies battle, and um, it it's basically uh, like what I like about it versus. Heroes of Might and Magic is a simplicity. Like, uh, yeah, it's like uh, a board game, basically. I, yes, it is. And also, it's extremely accessible. Like, it's more accessible than Heroes. It's, it's more, certainly more accessible than any other Might and Magic RPG game. It's, uh, it's really, really fun. And the thing is, you, you can never die. Uh, if you lose, you just sort of start back from, from your castle. But you can still, like, sort of, you can still, uh, uh, There's like a time limit or something, right? There is, yes. You you have to finish a main quest within a couple of days. But like when you realize that be you can sort of manipulate the world around you, which is always the same to your advantage. Like you manipulate the contracts because you you can also storm castles. Uh, one thing you cannot do in in heroes and um, uh, and sort of go around. Like you buy a boat and you sort of go in the boat and you can go around the whole world. So you it's very it's it's essentially the whole thing is open. You're not really restricted to anything, especially if you have a boat. Uh, you can go around the whole world freely, 
and uh, yeah, that's it. That's that's it's a very basic game. There is not many rules. Everything is kind of uh, uh, sort of very apparent. Uh, it's very very simplistic. The controls are very simple. It's really that's what I like Kings Bounty for. It's sort of one of those games yeah. where it's like it's really really old. Um, but it looks good enough. I mean, it lo- it's, it has very simple, um, sort of EGA, uh, or EGA graphics, uh, depending on your card. So, and, uh, but you can it, tell what everything is. Yes, so, exactly. All, all you need is just representation. There's just like animations. Like, it's very, actually, very much of it for people who, who have played Heroes of Might and Magic to go back and see where that all started is actually very interesting because of how similar it is. Uh, yeah. it's well, that's the thing. I mean, Kenigan's work is very evolutionary. So, you know, Mind and Magic 1 versus Mind and Magic, even 8 or 9, like, you can see the continuity as it goes. You can see each evolving from the other. And, you know, you can see heroes, you know, evolving from King's mm-hmm. Bounty. And that's the thing. And it's a weird thing. I guess it wasn't. I know a lot of people who played that game. And, uh, uh, it's a bit tough to, 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 to get a complete copy of, uh, I don't have one, I would love to one day, but, um, something about it, I, I don't know why, uh, like it's not well known today and it really didn't have a sequel for the longest time. I mean, uh, first Heroes of Might and Magic game landed in 95. So five years after, which my Heroes of Might and Magic is essentially a sequel to King's Bounty, more refined and more complicated than with a lot yeah. of a lot of other it stuff like it definitely took whatever king's bounty did and ran with yeah, it yeah it's like but it's like big time like it has its ma- it has a magic system which in the first game is kind of stupid but uh it also has multiple maps it has uh, yeah it has ca- is large campaigns all of yes, the games like yeah i've never gotten into that series but Neither have I, would, I but uh, it's because it just, I, I, mean, I yeah. missed, uh, because I was that, that kid who liked King's Bounty so much, to <laughs> me that built on complexity actually served me off, but that's, uh, uh, okay. I am not everybody, it seemed that everybody, those are the elements that everybody liked. I played Heroes 3, I see why people like it, I just am not as into that kind of a battle system. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, essentially that system is exactly yeah, the same in King's it. Bounty, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Um, you know, it, but, you know, I, it, it's, it's how I, people feel about, like, map your own dungeon crawlers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, so that's been the main, and in a way, I would say the hero series and the main series are kind of equal, you know, in people's hearts. And, um, and also same with, like, new publishers hand, handling those old properties, because every, everybody gotta go seems to be at the hero series. Basically, essentially, the new world computing ended. Yeah. Uh, in the, in the mid nineties and, uh, uh, heroes basically ended with its biggest hit. I mean, most people, I will say that uh, heroes two is a, is a, is a better kind of game because it doesn't sort of, but most people do prefer heroes three. Like it's, it's, it's like the, the swung song of the original, um, yeah, of the original new world computing. That was like the huge big last hit and yeah, well received. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh. Which was Kanagan's company, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, well, the thing is, uh, Hero Series was silent for a little bit, and then they let different companies handle different of the entries, yeah. just like they did with Might and Magic. And, uh, you know, like the Russians, Nival Interactive, gotta go at it. Uh, and also the Russians developed, uh, later on, after, like, Heroes 4 and 5, King's Bounty 
label also got resurrected for, for no yes. reason. There's a whole bunch of them now too, and I don't think anybody plays them. I've heard like I they're always on sale. I keep meaning to buy one. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. Know I never it, know which to start with because there's like, like twenty. Like, like how is? Yeah, I'm not sure. Is that just a more basic heroes? I don't. I don't. Can't even picture. Like, is it now? Because. I don't understand why that series needed to be split up again. Um, because essentially heroes built on King's Bounty. So I'm not really yeah. sure what to do. It just looks like they're just cashing in on, and uh, you know, I've seen those, all those smaller foreign studios taking care of them. I, I've never really seen a good release ever come out of that. I mean, Nival Interactive, who handled some of the heroes, at least a few heroes of my later heroes of Might and Magic games, has a lot of RPG experience. And so at least I know, but like who made those King's Bounty games? Like it's a whole bunch of different companies. I don't know. So I, I didn't play them. I couldn't personally recommend them. So I'm not sure, but I will certainly recommend first King's Bounty game. And uh, speaking of DOS, the first two, uh, Heroes of Might and Magic game, especially two, like play Heroes of Might and Magic. If you yeah. want the DOS game, play two. Not only does it have like, Everything, multiplayer, hot seat, modem, whatever, beautiful uh, SVGA graphics, a refined magic system, also has a, a soundtrack. Uh, there's two choices of the soundtrack. It's either more sort of video gamey or it's all like classical and opera. Okay. Uh, uh, pick one. Uh, really weird feature, uh, but nice nonetheless. So... Uh, um, yeah, I would highly recommend King's Bounty and Heroes of Might and Magic too, but mostly King's Bounty because it's, a, I think, a game that should be more well remembered because it's a very well designed sort of a streamlined experience. Well, I mean, where's the re-release, Gog? Where is it? Yeah, I it's weird, right? Because like he, they, they must have the rights because it's all the same company holding the things. Probably wouldn't be such a hassle to negotiate. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, even if they don't, they, they've certainly got all the eras of heroes and they have the new King's Bounty stuff too, so you would think, you know, well, listen, you know, we've gotta write Mr. Gog a letter. Alright, so, uh, I don't know, do you wanna talk about other spin-offs? I don't think they're really I mean, there's worthy. Just, yeah, there's a whole really bunch DOS. of them. There's, the, I guess, that, that bad Zelda. There's Zelda everything. There's Zelda also a first person shooter. Or... Um, Arca- Dark Messiah, made by Arcane Studios. Which I've heard is both really cool and very disappointing in some areas. That's it. Um, so, I mean, you've played, uh, you've played Arx Vitalis? Um, yes. Have you? I have, yes. And, yeah. okay, okay, and you've played uh, Dishonored? Uh, I've seen Dishonored. I have not okay. personally played well, it. Well, it's very much that's, you know, it's all of the good things from that developer. I mean, the environments are great. Um, it's a cool quest. There's a lot of really cool scripted stuff happening. Um, but it's just kind of, it's not that interesting in the level design, you know, it's not really that interesting to explore. It's, you know, there's, there's a really, one of the things it's famous for is there's a kick mechanic and, you know, you can kick enemies into spike traps and, you know, a lot of people make fun of it. It's the kind of game that does a lot of things well, but I totally understand people making fun of it, you know? Right. Well, it seems to be like, to me, uh, that sort of blend of genres, although have been explored, has never really been successful. I think it might be partially to the fact that more like shooter heavy, less RPG things, you know, it's not going to be so, I guess, I don't know, kick kinesthetically pleasing as, yeah. as firing a shotgun in somebody's face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it will never be that. 
so it's and so by you default know, it's already has to make up for it in other areas and that's very difficult to strike a balance for like a magic and yeah. magic and bow and arrow first person shooter like it's it's not easy one day somebody might nail it but so far it, it really hasn't happened of the three games they made arcs you know dark messiah and dishonored i mean dark messiah is certainly their least interesting where can might and magic go from here i mean i i don't know i mean are we going to get a might and magic 11 that's you know more of might and magic 10 i don't know probably i will play it I will complain about it. I will send some snarky tweets about it. You know, that's 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 that. All right. Well, uh... Uh, 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 I don't know. It, 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 it's just I would really like to see more revival of this kind of a thing, right? Um, or like at least said, like uh, a, a proper proper closure to 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 like the new era of Might and Magic. You know, maybe it's just time to move on. I mean, Ubisoft owns it. I don't really respect most of what Ubisoft makes, so why should I be, you know, it, it, Might and Magic ended with Might and Magic, you know, 6 maybe. I could pretend that, you know, and I'll be fine. 7 and 8 are fine. Even 9, I don't, you know, 9 didn't make me want to zone it as a Might and Magic game. It is a Might and Magic game. 10 just is Ubisoft made an RPG and this was the name they had on it and they put a couple of references just to you know, keep the franchise, but you know, this right. is the way of things. Oh well. Well, at least we always have those older games. And uh, dear listeners, uh, I guess I, uh, Richard, and I encourage you to try the the old DOS ones. We got plenty of games to choose from. Um, and uh, yeah, that so that was it for this episode of the DOS Nostalgia Podcast. Uh, I'm Anatoly. You got you. Every I, I hope everybody who's on the on this episode knows where to find me. But wherever you can uh, find me on Twitter, if you don't follow, wherever video games are sold. <laughs> yes, add <laughs> uh, Das Nostalgic uh, on Twitter or Google or do a, a search with the search engine of your choice for Das Nostalgia, and I'll be there. And uh, Richard, where the good people can find you. Uh, probably easiest way is Twitter at Richard Goodness. Um, I write text games. I run a Star Trek podcast called Trek About, which is on Twitter at Trek About Show or TrekAboutShow.com. Um, if you liked my voice, you will hear me talk about Star Trek every week with a friend. Well, alrighty. Well, thank you, uh, Richard, for being here. It was a pleasure. It, thank you for having me. Uh, anytime. And, um, thank you everybody for listening and, um, have a good day, night, or whatever, and uh, hopefully we'll meet again on this Das Nostalgia podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>